0: So thank you, everybody, for joining us one more time on the Value Nigeria podcast. It's a huge privilege for me to bring this podcast to everyone listening every other week. Um, it's been a great start to the new year. Uh, lots of excitement in the market, even as we build up to um, the annual results that should be coming in at any time, and as we build up to the elections as well in Nigeria. Um, in the same vein as what we have always done, I, we have a guest on the show This day, today is the 24th day of January. We'll see why I'm mentioning the date. It will come in handy even in the course of our discussions. Um, My guest on the show today is a seasoned macroeconomist. Um, So he's the head of the macroeconomic and the fixed income strategy team at Cardinal Stone Partners. And uh, he has cumulative work experience of well over four years. His primary and secondary research coverage covers across various African countries, uh, such as the Nigeria, Ghana, Egypt, Kenya, and Angola. Uh, over those countries, he provides insightful thematics and regular economic notes. Um, as a strategist, he regularly hunts for investment opportunities across the African sovereign credits, uh, local debt markets, and the private debt market w- as well his vast experience and complex analytical skills have provided him with ample opportunity to accurately forecast key macroeconomic indicators uh, like the fx um, direction of fx um, movement the gdp the external accounts inflation and fiscal position even of those countries he covers um, he's a regular feature on top tv and business and uh, business shows and various columns of newspapers um, aside from finance, my guest today is very passionate about education, which is one of the reasons why he has kindly opted to join us on the show today. And uh, he looks forward to bridging the educational deficits in the, in Nigeria and and, in, and across Africa as well through specialized schools. Uh, I really look forward to that um, in the future or at some point once this begins to unveil. Uh, he currently volunteers for various educational platforms, and provide support and mentorship to undergraduates and recent graduates, even in the financial field and far and wide. Um, it's a pleasure to have Mr. Olaolu Femi Bobuye even on the show today. Um, You're very welcome, sir. Nice to have you on the show.
1: Dr. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: <laughs> thank you very, very much. I, I remember, In the build-up to having this chat with you, I've had chats with a couple of other guests and many of them always recommend that I have this conversation with you. But I'm glad it's coming at the right time.
1: Wow, that's interesting. (laughs)
0: Um, The reason I'm saying it's coming at the right time is because there are a lot of events going on in the macroeconomic sphere in in Nigeria (laughs) at We are We are (laughs) grappling or dealing with quite a lot of oil, you know, Oil income or income from crude oil sales seems to be dwindling. It's up this month, it's down next month. We have general elections coming. There's a lot, it's almost like the economy is balanced on a knife edge. With you know, yeah, anything could tilt it either way. Um, before we get into the crux of our conversation today, sir, do you mind just shedding some more light on your educational background, your professional background, and maybe just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay, um, so. Thank you for having me, Doctor. I'm, I'm excited to be here, um, an economist. I am a graduate of economics from Judoa University. graduated about five years ago, or six, 2013, yeah. So uh, I've been working as an economist ever since, since 2018. That is, I, I spent my career with Cordros, 2018. I left Cordros in 2020, just before the pandemic became more pronounced globally. I went to CSL, stockbrokers, as um, an SSA economist. And from there, I left um, CSL in September 2021. And I currently work with Cardinal Stone as uh, a macro lead and a fixed income strategist. Uh, professional background, yeah, we, we are currently work. I'm currently a CFA student, um, almost chatted at Constance, um, personal background, United states. I love Pandediam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, from State. And, um, I'm busy, like I said.
0: Thank you very, very much for telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, I, I was privileged to do my NYSE in Undo State, so I can relate quite a lot with the pounded yam in that access. Undo and Ekiti. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, um, now we'll be talking, we'll be having a, or this conversation will be focused on looking at the macroeconomic space in Nigeria and just talking about a few of those factors that can tilt things tilt things in either direction. But before we do, um legendary investors people like warren buffett people like charlie Munger, these are people that i hold in high esteem um they've said over the years that you know focusing on the macro economy you know doesn't really help retail investors they've just said you know just focus on the on the company itself focus on the fine details and the macroeconomic whatever happens in the macroeconomic space would always play out um my thoughts, are, Could could they just be saying this just because they, they, you know, they are focused on America, which is like the, you know, the land of the brave, and you know, every, almost everything works for the average retail investor in the Nigerian space. What does or what role does you know monitoring the macroeconomic space play in their day day to day investing?
1: Okay, so uh, <laughs> yeah, so for those legendary investors, you just have to respect them. Quite correct. But um, the key thing is, macroeconomics is not an end to a miss, but a means to an end. Mm-hmm. So, typically, um, understanding macro story is a perspective that you need to guide you to make sound investment decisions. And I'll give you a very practical example. A recent survey was conducted among top CEOs globally in the US and in other developed markets. And in one of the surveys, the things they asked them is, what the most pressing things on their mind at the moment?" And something was generic across both. Economic factors was the most uh, pressing thing on their mind. COVID came in 2020, uh, dampened global sentiment. The whole story around the impact of COVID is a macroeconomic story. The Russia Ukraine war occurred that led to elevated commodity prices, that changed the dynamics for global investment and you know um, investing patterns in a way that we've not seen in the last few years. That's a macroeconomic factor. So currently what we are seeing is macroeconomics have found its way to penetrate into investment decisions and it's even encouraged for investment houses, and for non-investment houses to have macroeconomic strategies in their houses, in their fence, to guide them appropriately so that they can base those informations on uh, to form the bedrock for any sound investment decisions that you want to make. So, over the years, the importance of macros to investment decisions, both to um, a regular investor on the street and an institutional investor has become very pronounced and it's something we cannot do without
0: Thank you very, very much for for that insight. Um, I've never really looked at things from that point of view, but I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Thank you very, very much. Um, Now, we've just started a brand new year a couple of weeks ago, it's 2023, and a lot of things will be unveiled as the year goes by. Um, However, I just feel if we don't understand things in the past, if we don't understand where we are coming from, it might be difficult for us to maneuver where we are at present to make good or better decisions. Um, Do you mind just giving us a brief overview of the major macroeconomic happenings um, in 2022 or the things that you feel shaped 2022 from the macroeconomic point of view, sir?
1: Okay, so thank you for that. I think the most pronounced factor that drove, you know, the macroeconomic story last year was the Russia Ukraine war. Now, the Russia Ukraine war was accompanied by a 40 year high inflation globally. And then we saw monetary authorities rising up to the tax to curb inflation, you know, by raising up, uh, by raising uh, the benchmark rate, you know, to levels that we've not seen uh, on record. The same thing also panned out in Africa and as well as in Nigeria. We saw inflation at the end of the year, settling at a 17-year high, and we saw the central bank also raising rates to the ISM we've seen on record. Now, in terms of the impact of all these things, the first thing that happened was, because of the orchestra of the global central bank, what we saw was that foreign investors that are exposed to emerging markets and frontier markets they left. Now, in the course of living, there were some impacts that came with it. Number one, uh, frontier market largely depends on foreign inflows to support the FX reserve and, by extension, their currency position. So, those emerging market countries without strong
0: uh, uh,
1: reserve, FX reserve had to grapple with currency challenges. An example of that was Egypt. Around March last year, Egypt had to devalue its currency by about 14%. And for the rest of the year, the currency was largely pressured. Now, aside from investors exiting uh, uh, emerging markets and, and and as well as the exiting frontier markets, the um, inflation that also came with it also impact was, you know, there was an impact of elevated commodity prices in it. So for companies that are commodity-based companies, you know, they, they profited from that significantly. For example, a company like Okomo in Nigeria and Presco in Nigeria, they had exposure to elevated CPO prices, right? Because there was supply chain disruption. The Russia-Ukraine war also reduced supply. The impact of that drove up prices. And for them that sells CPO, that crude oil palm. It was largely beneficial for them. However, for companies that had huge leverage, right, companies that had huge leverage, like the consumer goods space in Nigeria, that had huge leverage, and some other developed, companies in the developed market, the cost interest rate went up generally last year. They had to cripple with higher financing costs, and they had to reprise some of their debt because investors were just asking for more. Aside from this, higher interest rates also impacted government. We saw government having to pay more than they would have done ordinarily. You know, And that was one of the things that propounded or compounded the problem that Ghana had in terms of its fiscal position, currency position, and currently now they are on the verge of default. We also saw that... Um, Interest payments for governments across the globe increased significantly, and uh, that was largely because monetary authorities hike rates. And to conclude on this, to estimate by how much monetary authorities hike rates, we saw that in 2020, the total value of global negative yielding bonds was about 18 trillion dollars. Now, this in, this negative yielding bonds tells us. The bonds that are the return on those bonds, you know, the yields on those bonds that are below zero percent was valued at 18 trillion. But because the yield has gone up across board, currently the value is zero. Right, from 18 trillion to zero. That gives us a picture of the magnitude of rate hikes and the impact on businesses.
0: Interesting. Uh, thank, Thank you very, very much. From the picture you've painted, it's definitely no surprise that, you know, the foreign investors, uh, you know, move their funds from our local markets even to, to the bond market, abroad. As our brothers. Know, it's almost a no-brainer to do that at those points. Mm. Now, um, looking forward, uh, we are in 2023 now. A lot of things are happening. We, we have the general elections, which are coming possibly in the next 31, 31 days, thereabouts. Uh, from a historical perspective, can you just paint a picture of what of how elections in the past have generally affected the economy, the general economy in Nigeria? What has been the impact of of elections in the past on the economy? And do you think this year's um, elections will differ in any way from the historical norm? Okay, so firstly, during
1: pre-election year. Uh, it would be good to segment it into two. number one for foreign investors and number two for local investors now for foreign investors because there's a lot of uncertainties that are accompanied with the election in Nigeria uh, we don't know the candidate that will win. we don't know the policies the new candidate will bring on board uh, we don't know if there will be the continuity of the patterns that we've seen in the last administration or not the repeated promises of the past with lead to reality has compounded the skepticism of investors and what we typically see is investors flee. They flee. And this is this is part of the reason why GTB for example that's Gipko yes. stocks. Jipto stock was badly beaten last year. Now the reason for this was because they had Significant investors, you know, that were uh, 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 foreign investors holding that stock. Mm-hmm. Now, following the fears from investors about pre election and the general global resource sentiment that we saw last year, we saw that stock price declining significantly last year. Even at the point it touched about 17, uh, is a stock that ordinarily valuation is saying should be around 32 levels mm-hmm. or above 30 you know, 13 Now that gives us that an limitation and there's only skepticism for investors. Right. Now if history is anything to go by, do we think a similar thing will occur? It's already happened. We are seeing investors fleeing the market already. Mm-hmm. Now, what do local investors, what comes to their mind is post-election, what what should we expect? Now in the past, if we check 2015 when Jonathan came, 2011, when Jonathan came on board, there was a neat check reaction in the equities market. It led to a short rally. I think the rally was for some days because of the expectation that we're having a new government. I would like to see a new policy. In the first administration of Buari, we saw a similar pattern where there was also a knee-check reaction in the market. The market rallied a bit. And we are thinking, we have three... Three leading candidates at the moment, aside from other strong candidates, right? It's very possible that we're likely to see another net jet reaction rally, you know, in this uh, in this coming election. Aside from the equity market, for the bond market, the reaction has not been very significant in the past. We discover that that market seems to be more uh, crippled by other factors aside from politics, other factors like liquidity like fiscal position like inflation and like the actions of the central bank
0: Mm, thank you very very much sir um you've mentioned something quite important which is the three frontline candidates for the presidential um um, position in the coming elections we've seen each of them roll out a couple of manifestos to tell us what the plan from the macroeconomic point of view what does a Sinobu presidency portend? What does an Epita Obi presidency portend? What does a, a an Atiku presidency portend? I, I know it's a little bit tricky, and I, I don't want you to be on the spot or to you know to um, give predictions just from from your assessment of their policies. What are the pros and cons sort of of each of the three candidates?
1: So interestingly, what we see from um, from these three leading candidates, is this seems to be pro-market, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it even perceived the manifestos was written by a single person who was from a single source, because from the manifesto we read, from the actions that we've seen, and from their disposition in the media, they seems to be focusing on. Uh, uh, pro-market actions for example there are talks around removing subsidiary, subsidies there are talks around currencies there are also talks around how to enhance private sector you know, activities, all this gives an indication that they look like pro-market candidates right, and for us pro-market candidates have strong implications for the market because one of the things investors want to hear especially the foreign investors is pro market they want subsidies that is not sustainable to be removed they want currency to be more market reflective reflecting you know market determined rather than being fixed or pegged so lastly that's the disposition of this of these three, three candidates now in terms of how um the markets will perceive them or picture them. We think that regardless of who wins, right? We think that regardless of who wins, the pro-market stand of these candidates bodes well for the market, and the market should be excited by that.
0: Perfect, perfect. Um, in fact, almost perfect timing because while you were speaking, I just got an alert that the outcome of the MPC meeting. The monetary policy committee meeting, which was holding today, has been released. I don't know if you've gotten that information as well. And um, yeah, it yeah. seems they've increased interest. Interest rate has been increased to seventeen point five percent, which yeah, <laughs> which is probably unprecedented almost in 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 our history. But uh, now looking at the rest of twenty twenty three, obviously the MPC interest rate is one macroeconomic factor that will shape the rest of the year. Do you mind just mm-hmm. sharing a few thoughts about the the interest rates um, at 17.5% at present and maybe other macroeconomic factors that you feel might have a big impact on 2023?
1: So firstly, on the MPC action, it's not surprising. Yeah. From our own hand, we had expected that the MPC would hike by my 100 basis points. And we think, firstly, inflation is still at almost 17-year high, yeah. right? Which is quite significant wow. and and elevated. So clearly, we think that that must have been one of the things that led to the CBN ICANN. Aside from that, um, if you look at the fact that election is next month, mm-hmm. there will be influx of liquidity. To so curb that liquidity by home, we think that The cbm that must have orchestrated the cbm to act the npr by 100 business points however what we are thinking is given the fact that post-election right the uh uh, some of these pressures will be Mm waning since election will be out of the way in the next few months we also think that inflation is gradually nearing its peak right because those pressure points last year We'll start reducing these effects will also reduce inflation or support inflation to come down. We we'll think that the monetary authority might be looking at a slower pace of rate hike this year. It's possible that we might not see more than one more rate hike this year, and then they will stand pattern on interest, similar to what we are thinking will play out in the global space. Now, in terms of impact of businesses, for companies that are very leveraged companies in the consumer goods space, and other companies that are leveraged. These elevated interest rates potentially a negative downside to them. Secondly, for manufacturing companies that largely depend on credit in you know, order to run their businesses because they are crippled with many issues like FX and the like, this elevated interest rate is negative for them. In fact, in Q3 last year, we saw that that sector contracted first time since covid because of the orchestrance of the CBN. Now, for banks, they have, they will benefit from this because of interest income will improve automatically for them, right? And since interest earnings will improve for them, it should affect their net interest you know, you know, you know, margins. This should have positive impact for them. And for people that have exposure to banking stocks, solid banking stocks can benefit from this. For people that have exposures to companies that are very leveraged, then they should be skeptical because this will wipe out the bottom line. Now, in terms of other factors that are likely to shift to 2023, we think that growth will remain stable because uh, growth has fine its new cost at around 3% level. We think that growth will remain relatively stable. Aside from this, FX, we think FX will devalue to 500 because when we checked the non deliverable form, 12 months non deliverable forward, which gives us a sense of how foreign investors are pricing in effects over the next 12 months. What we can perceive is they are thinking that effects will be around 500 to 510 by the end of the year. We think inflation will moderate slightly this year, profiting from base effects, and as well as um, monetary authorities who are likely to see a lower rate of this a um, lower pace of rate. Lastly. One of the most defining things that we should watch out for this year is Dangote Refinery and possible reforms. For us, we think Dangote Refinery will commence operation in late H1 or in early H2. Now, this this, um, um, Dangote Refinery should have the capacity of adding about 50 business points to the economy. Operating less than 100% capacity utilization. This is significant. Mm-hmm. Also, this should have impact or should support the government to quickly orchestrate subsidy removal because we're no longer going to be importing refined products, refined fuel, refined oil, oil products. Mm-hmm. And you should give the government enough leverage to remove subsidies. These will have impact on effects. We are forecasting or projecting a net effect savings plus subsidies, gains, close to $10 billion, Mm. you know, so economy, physical position, and effects will benefit from the Refinery.
0: Perfect, perfect. Thank you very, very much. Um, You've answered even my next question, which was going to be, um, how should retail investors plan or, you know play the twenty twenty three because you've answered some part of it, but I I wouldn't deprive I wouldn't deprive you the opportunity to answer that question. Um are there any um maneuvers or any positionings that you think the retail investor might benefit from taking even in anticipation of all these events playing out in the rest of the year?
1: Okay, so for, for, for investors, number one, they should look at stocks that have positive correlation with higher interest rates, mm-hmm. like banks. Now, banks have positive correlation with interest rates going up. Secondly, banks have, they're currently enhancing their diversification strategy at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing them moving from the regular, pure, plain, vanilla banks mm-hmm. to old structure like access banks, like JITCO. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, thirdly, rather, we've seen them increasing international presence, like ETI like UBA. Which means that exposure to banks that has positive correlation with interest rates, coupled with all that things they are doing, will be a good one. Number two, for companies like Fresco and Okomo, we think that there is upside for CPO prices to remain elevated this year. It might not be as elevated as last year, but it will remain elevated, and coupled with the fact that there is still a bit of uh, a supply is still not yet strong, and demand has not yet fully recovered because China is just reopening. We think that CPU prices can go up, which will profit uh, 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 oil pump sellers like Okumu and Presco. We also think that the fact that there is devaluation risk, there is pressure in the parallel market, which further strengthens elevated CPU prices, this will profit both Okumu and Presco. For the consumer goods name, Investors should be cautiously optimistic because many of them are exposed to high finance costs, which is affecting bottom line. Secondly, costs are still relatively elevated, right, which is also affecting bottom line. So cautiously optimistic on that. For cement, cement was gripped last year with uh, um, uh, energy cost problem. We think that this year, because of moderation in global prices, cement should be what investors should be. They should also look at investors' at cement space, right? And then they will benefit from that. For investors that are interested in fixed income, youth are relatively high at the moment, right? And our expectation is that elevated borrowings by the government, coupled with the hawkish tradition of the CBN, will continue to drive youth higher at the fixed income. Rate. And for something outside Nigeria, the Euro bonds are doing pretty much well. Yields on Euro bonds, some of them are offering good returns. Look at solid countries with strong physical position in the emerging market space and position there. Countries like Angola, countries like Mozambique, Nigeria is not badly positioned at all. Pos- position in those countries and make a nice returns. For the global market, equities might not perform the best this year because. In the period of rising interest rates, what investors typically do is to look at, uh, you know, where they can make most of the money, because as interest rates going on, uh, uh, the equities market is affected. Companies have exposure, to elevated borrowings; they cannot, you know, it affects them generally. So, bonds and fixed income markets is this space to look at globally, and because bonds have Mark to market. Hmm. Expectation is that towards the ending of the year, we are likely to see a rate pulse right? Yes. Or a slower rate hike ends. We will begin to see bonds becoming positive. And when you look at it from pricing angle, yes. because we might see a reversal in yield, yield would start going down. You know, towards the ending of the year. Expectation is between now, maybe towards the end of the year, to be going up. But towards that ending of the year, it will start going down. And prices will start going up. Mm-hmm. Investors can profit from that to make money.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm so glad I, I asked that question and I didn't deprive um, the listeners the privilege of listening to that answer as well. Um, just, just before I let you go, sir, any final thoughts yes. or any final words for the average retail investor listening to you, sir?
1: So, uh, firstly, every investment should be guided by a professional. Talk to your investment advisor before you make investment decisions. Secondly, gain proper understanding before investing. Don't join the trend or bandwagon for making investment decisions. And thirdly, greed should not be a part of investment. Investment is not a scheme or a quick rich, rich scheme is a systematic approach of building sustainable wealth and great or a quick rich scheme strategy should be out of the place and then we'll be fine. Oh.
0: Perfect. Wow it's been so explosive and so educative listening to you speak today. Thank you very much for sharing your morning with us, sir.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited
0: we'll reach out to you again at some point in the future and bring you back on the podcast if you don't mind. No problem. All right, you.